Welcome to the Product Business Podcast. This is a place where I interview bootstrappers and entrepreneurs who are selling software products online. And the goal is to help you whether you are thinking about maybe selling a product in the future, you are launching a product, or you're already generating lots of revenue. I am your host, Scott Bollinger. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating or click the subscribe button. Jordan Gall from Carthook is joining me today, and we are going to talk all about Shopify and Carthook, and I'm excited to dig into a few things with him. Jordan, thanks for being with me today. How are you feeling? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's good to be, good to be on the show and talk products spe- specifically, and yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to it. Cool. I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. Um, I'm really interested in the Shopify space. Um, I come from like a WordPress background. My product is based around WordPress and kind of in that world a lot, but the Shopify world really um, intrigues me and there's a lot of growth there. Um, and, and that's where cart hook is, is mainly in. Do, do you guys do any other integrations besides Shopify? No, we are first product, the cart abandonment product. We had maybe 12 integrations and this checkout product is exclusively for Shopify. Okay, cool. Um, and you guys started about five years ago, is that right? Yeah, the company five years ago, we ran with the cart abandonment product for the first two years and then launched the checkout product almost three years ago, not, not quite three years. Okay, cool. And for those who don't know, um, give us the elevator pitch for cart hook. Sure. So what we do is allow e-commerce merchants to have full control over their marketing funnel. Uh, the way that translates into an actual product is we allow them to customize every step of the sales process all the way from landing pages going all the way through the checkout page post-purchase upsells and the thank you page so we really try to give control over to marketers who know what they want to do and have been constrained in the past we want to relieve them of those constraints cool uh and I've heard an interview with you recently um, and kind of went through some of how, what you're doing now and what happened, what, what went on with Cardhook before. I'd love to get into a little bit. Um, what, what did you do before Cardhook? So I come from an, a classic immigrant entrepreneur household. Uh, so I grew up watching my dad as an entrepreneur. Uh, I tried my stint as an investment banker that lasted exactly half an hour after the bonus hit my bank account for the first year. And then I quit. (laughs) Uh, And then I've been doing uh, a series of different ventures, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, I started off uh, in a property tax reduction company. Then I eventually started a political website and then got into an e-commerce. I was the merchant, I was selling product. And that's what gave me a lot of the interest in e-commerce to begin with. And then from there, after selling the e-commerce business, I went into software for e-commerce. And that's what led to Carthook. Okay, cool. And, and I know the, when you started Carthook, the early days were a little rough. You had a founder who left. Uh, you had some, you know, the money was tight. You guys ended up taking some investment money. Um, talk me through a little bit of that, what the early days when, you, when, when things were hard. I mean, what, what was that like? What did, what did it feel like? I did not like the way it felt. <laughs> it did not feel natural for me. Uh, I don't know how it sounds, ignoring how it sounds. Uh, 
those early days felt very unnatural and it felt like I was just kind of rolling my eyes waiting to get to where we are now. And this is like, Oh, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. So it was kind of just suffering through it because it felt like there weren't really any shortcuts. So you had to just go through it. The, the analogy we used to make very often is walking through a desert. There's only one thing to do. Keep walking. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's what it felt like a lot. Now the more specifically, my issue was that I'm a non-technical uh, founder of a software company. And so my job from the very beginning has been to inspire people and see the same opportunities that I see. Uh, but then I have to take a back seat to the actual development. And so I need other people. And so I went into this uh, knowing that this is not just about me. I can't do this on my own from, by, by definition. And so the first big challenge was attracting uh, somebody talented to build the first version of the product. That was like the first big hurdle to overcome. Mm -hmm. And how did you find that person? Luck, a uh, combination of, of luck and uh, perseverance and skill and whatever combination of things uh, make, make that type of uh, event happen. So I was in San Francisco. I was traveling with my family for, for a while to figure out where we wanted to move. Our first spot was San Francisco. By coincidence, one day, I go to the laundromat and I bump into a family friend of my wife's. Uh, so we start talking and oh, what a coincidence. We live in the same neighborhood for these few months. We start going to lunch together and coffee and talking business. Turns out he's an engineer who wants to get more knowledge and experience on the business side. And I'm a business person who needs someone on the development side. And so we eventually teamed up uh, and the luck was the random uh, meeting, but where the skill and perseverance came in was I, I had to do a good enough job of convincing somebody really talented that can go off and do other things to spend time on building the product with a product with me. Mm -hmm. yep. Interesting. I, I feel like Justin uh, Jackson has a similar story because he approached John Buddha and kind of did the same thing, right? He was like, Hey, you want to, you want to kind of go at this with me? Like, I know you can build it on your own, but right. Here's why I'm, I'm necessary is really the, the justification you need to bring to the table. Yeah. And I, I think it was smart on uh, your co-founders part as well. Cause I mean, a lot of developers, they can build stuff, but they don't realize that building a business is much less about the code than it is about the, the systems and the marketing and, and things like that. So it really is great to have both sides um, kind of working at something, which yes. is, I'm sure is a, is a, at least some part of your success, right? Yeah, they, it, what I bring to the table is a familiarity with what the market wants. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is very difficult to find because I, I used to be an e-commerce merchant. So I, I was the target audience mm -hmm. and that's very difficult to replicate. You can do research, you can do custom development, but if you're building for yourself, it is a, uh, you're more likely to hit it on the nose than be a few degrees off. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about the Shopify space and um, I, I know what it's like to sell products in the, in the sort of WordPress arena. And it's, it's very different from Shopify. It's a lot, WordPress has a large market share. There's many more websites on it, but it's this open source thing. It's, um, it's just a very different space. Um, I'm just curious to hear what is it like selling Shopify apps? What, what is your experience with, um, the, the Shopify app store with people on that platform. 
with customizing things for that platform. I, I'm sorry I don't have anything real specific to start with, but just keep, you know, I don't know. Can you, can you get into something about that? Yes. And, and the truth is uh, my experience, uh, our experience as a company should be, should be seen for what it is, which is relatively unique. Uh, we are not a typical Shopify app. We are not in the Shopify app store. So we have these additional factors of uh, both pro and con. Uh, well, what I'll tell you to back up a touch, the first iteration, the first product we launched was a cart abandonment app. And we did, we did our best to avoid integrating with Shopify. <laughs> so, so we integrated with Volusion first. That was the platform that I used to use. So I felt most comfortable selling to people on Volusion platform. I could speak their language. Great. Then we integrated with Magento and WooCommerce and Lemon Stand and Easy Digital Downloads. And we just went down the line of integrations. And we always had people asking us about integrating with Shopify. And it was growing, but it hadn't turned into the supernova that it is today with you know, an enormous gravitational pull that's sucking in all the attention in the e-commerce world. That was a lot of analogies in a row, but you get my point. Yeah. So we tried to avoid it. Uh, and at some point it became unavoidable. We had enough demand. So the reason more specifically, our card abandonment technology used JavaScript that a merchant would put on their checkout page and our bit of secret sauce, something that enterprise solutions were offering, but uh, lower end solutions were not offering was the ability to capture the email address as soon as, as soon as it was typed on the checkout page. Right, so it was a bit of JavaScript that looked for the email field, and as soon as someone uh, typed it in and tabbed out right on that blur event, we would capture the email address. Mm -hmm. And that was our bit of secret sauce because that allowed you to capture a lot more abandoned carts. Great, now with Shopify, you can't touch their checkout page. You can't put JavaScript on it. And so we would be relegated to looking at the API, which every other app was doing. And so we didn't want to compete. We didn't want to lose our secret sauce. We didn't want to compete with much cheaper apps when we really didn't have that much of an advantage. Turns out uh, that was actually the exact thing that led to the idea of the checkout product. Because when we went to finally integrate with Shopify, we were upset about losing that functionality. And as I kept looking and noodling on it, what, I, what really dawned on me was, so the card abandonment app is good because it brings direct ROI. You can show people, I made you $1,800 this month. We, this product sent out emails that resulted in people clicking and buying, and it made you $1,800 this month, and therefore I can justify my $50 a month, which is a, a good place for a software product to be. To easily justify your uh, existence and your cost is, is a healthy way to, to stay in business. Now, Looking at the Shopify checkout and our, our inability to customize it and put JavaScript on it, what dawned on me was, okay, that's a good idea, the card abandonment app, but a bigger idea is a customizable checkout for Shopify. From my time as an e-commerce merchant myself, I spent a ton of time customizing the checkout to optimize my conversion rate. Then I looked at Shopify and it was the most popular and growing platform. And that's when I said to myself, oh, I bet there's a mountain of demand for customization of the checkout page itself. And so one product and then frustration 
is what led to our second product, which is now our entire business. We've, uh, we're in the process of sunsetting our card abandonment product itself. Um, and we're entirely focused on the checkout product. Interesting. So how did you get around the fact that Shopify didn't allow you to do the checkout page? I'm assuming the checkout is just happening now on your servers instead of on Shopify servers. Yes. Uh, that's complicated. Um, we, we tried to do it in such a way that it would make sense for Shopify to accept. And we worked with them on it and spoke with them and kind of carried on that relationship along the way. Um, and the conclusion was that we can do it. We just have to stay out of the app store. Hmm. Okay. So that's, that's been our uh, reality. Uh, and it's made for an interesting situation because most Shopify apps have no customer acquisition muscle. They rely on the app store as their distribution. And don't get me wrong. I wish we were in there and I look forward to the day that we are in the Shopify app store. Uh, but it has brought us into a different mode, the different way of doing business than most Shopify apps. And so I, we get a lot of uh, interest from Shopify apps as they're growing and looking to go beyond the app store because we've had to build up that acquisition muscle to figure out how do you find Shopify merchants when you, they can't find you in the app store. Right. So have you then, the acquisition muscle, are you saying you've acquired Shopify apps in the app store to help with marketing of your product? No, no. I meant customer acquisition. I oh, meant, yeah, yeah. Right. If, if you're not going to get the distribution from the app store, you need to go out and, and get people. Right. Yes. And, uh, and I saw your uh, talk at MicroConf and it was, it was one of my favorite talks about your Facebook marketing strategy. Um, are you guys still using that same strategy, the evergreen content re retargeting and everything? Uh, Yes, we still use it. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about that and then we can kind of move over to uh, the other uh, thing that I would want to talk about related to customer acquisition. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the Facebook strategy that we used was, uh, the, the, the overall idea was if people are not used to uh, being bombarded with marketing, right? Other, other spaces are that's just part of the deal. That's how you discover things. People advertise to you and that's how part of your discovery of new products and services. In Shopify, it's not really like that. There, there is not that much cold outreach and all of the attention goes into the app store. And of course, word of mouth, uh, which is the thing I'll talk about next. And so we wanted to figure out a way, how are we going to make it palatable to Shopify store owners to see an advertisement and discover an app or a service that way instead of the app store. And so what we wanted to accomplish was a way to do that without actually showing them an advertisement at first. And so what we did was we thought to ourselves, okay, if, if I'm a Shopify merchant, what do I want to see? Uh, and in the e-commerce world, uh, there's a lot of bling bling. There's a lot of numbers talk. People like to see results. They like to see other people succeeding. Uh, envy is a very big part of marketing in the e-commerce world. And so what we did is we, we had case studies created, uh, actually by a fellow microconfer, Joel Kletel. Uh, he runs a company called Case Study Buddy. Uh, and they do, it's a case study service. So that you, you basically point them, make an intro to a customer, and they take it from there. So what we would do is find a successful customer, have Case Study Buddy write up a great case study on them, and then the Facebook ads 
that we would send out to cold audiences was the case study. That way, the first interaction with our brand was not an advertisement for us. It was a story of us holding up one of our customers as a success story. And along with that, building up that envy and jealousy and interest in how do I get those numbers? How do I make $800,000 in a month? That type of thing. Now, once they clicked on the page, then they would be uh, added to a retargeting list. And only then would we show them the free trial ads. And so that's the way we went about it. How do we get people to click and self-select and only then show them the, uh, the actual offer ads for, for a free trial? Mm-hmm. And that, that, that has really worked. Yeah, and that converted really well for you guys. Um, yeah, it was, this was last year, so I was curious if you guys were still doing that. Um, yeah. yeah, what I said is where it went. I don't remember the exact detail of exactly what I spoke about on stage, uh, but that's where it revolved, uh, evolved into. Okay, yeah, because you were talking about back then, you had, I think, seven or so pieces of evergreen content which were uh like it went from general to specific and it was like here's a general e-commerce article that everyone wants to read and then you get more and more focused through you retarget them back to this other article that's a little bit more specific towards checkout or cart abandonment and then it gets like the like the final one is like the trial offer Yes. That was so cool. So it was a similar concept. And, and what we found through iteration was that case studies, that was the type of content that would get the attention and get them interested enough to go right into trial. Right. Very cool. Um, and then what was the other thing you were mentioning about customer acquisition you wanted to get into? So w- what I just described uh, is, is how we do paid acquisition. Um, I don't want people to get the impression that that is what it has led to a lot of our success. It's not the, the by far that's, let's call that 10%. The other 90% is getting the product right for the right market at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, that's tricky, right? That is counter to advice that you would give an entrepreneur starting out. Like you, you do not want to do a build it and they will come. That, that's, yeah. that's not a strategy. Uh, but in our case, that, that's really what has made the difference. Uh, there's also an element to um, risk appetite. So there aren't that many competitors in the space because it's flying a bit close to the sun. Uh, right, you're doing something that isn't supported by Shopify's API, and you're outside of the App Store, and it's riskier than, you know, other things in the space. And so, getting the product right in a space that had really high demand and not a lot of competition, those factors led into a lot of inbound demand and a lot of word of mouth. And so, the paid acquisition is helping it along, but that's the that's the real factor that 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 makes the difference. Yeah. And it's like you said, the right product, the right time for the right market. That's, that's almost like something you just can't, you can't like read a book or hear a podcast about that. And just all of a sudden be like, Oh, now I get it. It's like, it's one of those things that's just so like detailed and uh, it's it's like almost impossible. Like, I don't know. I I think it's related to what people say that it's easier to, to build for yourself. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, it's related to that. Um, it's also a matter of being in the market and seeing the gaps that you just would not see if you weren't in the market. Right. Yeah. So we were in the market with our cart abandonment solution. We were talking to e-commerce merchants every day. 
we were exploring and reading the same things that they were reading and we would not have seen this opportunity if we weren't so so deep into the into the market right and i i remember hearing from you that you when you guys released it uh it had a lot of uh traction early on right you had you had a lot of customers you launched like a lot of people liked it It, now i'm not sure if when i heard you say that i'm not sure if you were talking about the card abandonment part of it or the checkout page part of it so maybe no the the card abandonment did not did not garner a lot of demand. The, okay. the way we built the card abandonment app uh, revenue was through strategic integrations. Uh, so we would do an integration with something like easy digital downloads and we'd get to know Pippin, right? You get to know the founder and then the, uh, Pippin actually used our product on his own on easy digital downloads itself and made a bunch of money and then he'd write a blog post and we'd do an integration and an announcement and then you get a bunch of customers and then you create a flywheel there because it's now listed as an integration, the blog post lives on forever and right, that, that worked. Then we would do yeah. the same thing with CrateJoy and any other uh, ideally smaller platform that would see us as an added value to their customers as opposed to something like Magento where you know they don't care what you're doing. Yeah. So that's what worked on the card abandonment side. The checkout side was that the right time at the right place type thing where it was immediate inbound demand and an equal amount of technical difficulty. So we got a lot of demand before we were ready. So we, we did the right thing in launching a little bit too early, you know, launching something that you're a bit embarrassed about. We, we did that right. What we very quickly learned is that the nature of our product uh, does not allow for that. The the sensitivity of a checkout product is such that you, you can't mess up and oops, sorry, emails didn't go out for a few hours. No, if there's any problem at all on a checkout page, you're immediately costing your customers money. Mm-hmm. And so that was something we had to learn the hard way, just the the nature of the product and the sensitivity with which we had to deal with reliability and performance and page speed and so on. Mm-hmm. It was, it was an, a really strange experience for, right? I've been in business for a, a long time. I've done a bunch of different ventures. It's not very often that you put something out into the market and it just reacts immediately and wants to give you its money. It's, mm-hmm. That's not normal. It's, you know, right. it's very rare. And yeah. so I had that happening and couldn't satisfy it because the product needed more time. Yeah. So it was an incredibly frustrating experience for, for about a year. Oh, that's a long time. It was a long time, man. It was rough. And we did $100 million in processing the first year. Wow. So that's, that's not our revenue. That's how much goes through our checkout for, on behalf of our merchants. So we're capturing some of that, but that's, that's the total GMV, the gross uh, merchandise value. Um, so it was $100 million, but it was pain the whole way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you guys were, it was cranking, people wanted it, but there were now the saw it was out there. People were using it, but you're just saying it was painful because there were like bugs and support issues. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Support. Uh, the difficulty in e-commerce, especially with people, uh, right. You're part of their business. You're not their entire business. Shopify is the main platform that they're on and you need to work with everything they work with, or they just can't use you. And so the connections with the email integrations and tracking and analytics and payments and all these different things, it really was not a product that a bootstrap company should take on. 
That's really what it felt like. And so we did end up raising some money from friends and family. Um, we raised a little bit while we had the card abandonment app. And we, when we had the checkout idea, we raised a little bit more uh, and, and we needed every, every penny of it. Right. And so this was when you raised money the second time, this was after you had re released the checkout and you like saw there was demand, you just couldn't kind of keep up. So you're like, let's get some money and let's figure this out quicker, quickly. It was, it was in between. So uh, January, 2015, I think uh, we raised a little bit of friends and family money. And then we started building the card abandonment app. And then about a year, no, two years in, uh, that we went back to investors and said, okay, card abandonment, kind of cool. This other idea, really cool. If you believe in that, can you please pony up? And mm -hmm. so a few of them did. And that's what gave us the fuel to, to pursue the, the checkout product. And then, of course, the beauty of recurring revenue on the card abandonment app is really what allowed us to have revenue continue coming in. It was in the 15 to 20K a month range. Uh, and that revenue kept coming in, actually kept growing while we paused development on it and started building the checkout product. So that, that's what saved us. The, the ability to stop working on a product and have it continue funding our operations, that's really what allowed us to do it. Right. So you guys are, are charging um, about $500 a month now I saw for your professional plan. Um, what, yep. was the, what was the pricing when you guys first released the checkout product? Yeah, this, this, this too was uh, an interesting journey to, from, from being very wrong to getting closer to right. <laughs> so when we first launched it, we looked at ClickFunnels, which is where our product was aimed, right? So what was happening in e-commerce was ClickFunnels was blowing up because it gave merchants a lot of control over how they sell allowed them to easily create funnels. It was drag and drop. You didn't need to be very technical. It allowed a lot of control over the checkout process, post-purchase upsells, and so on. Then once you start selling physical products on ClickFunnels, you realize it's not meant for physical products. And so you're tearing your hair out with CSV exports and Zapier integrations and so on. And really what ends up happening is a lot of the successful merchants move over to Shopify. When they move over to Shopify, they realize how much better of an e-commerce system Shopify is for physical products, but you lose the control over the marketing that ClickFunnels gave you. And so our product slid right in between the two and said, you can stay on Shopify and you can still have all these marketing features. And so because that was our space, we priced it the same as ClickFunnels at hundred bucks a month. As soon as we launched, we got so many signups in the first few weeks that we realized, whoa, we're, we're, first we have to figure out what to do with this. We can't handle it. People are coming in, they're trying to onboard, it's not working and we're going to mess up our reputation. So what do we do? So our, our conclusion was we need to just slow this whole thing down. And the way we came up with to slow it down was a no more self-serve free trials. Let's require a demo. So we get into a conversation and make sure that they're a good customer and it fits and they know what they're getting. And the other piece was let's triple the price. Let's just put it at 300 bucks a month. That has to stop people. Uh, and in reality, the demand stayed exactly the same. <laughs> right. And so that taught us you were way off on the pricing guys. <laughs> yep. And so that, that mistake, and then fixing it changed the trajectory of the company completely that because that's what allowed us to have such a high average revenue per user 
that with our little merry band of 100 or 200 customers in that first year, we were able to build revenue up significantly. And, and then that's what allowed us to push through all of the bugs and the issues and get things better and give the tech team time to get it better. And, and given that time, they, they nailed it. So when we released version two of the app, the day you could see it in our MRR and ProfitWell, it is, you could point it out from across the room. It's just right there. You released version two and everything just goes boom and up and to the right immediately. Jeez. Yep. So we needed, we needed to buy that, that year and, and the pricing is really what, what allowed us to do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a great, uh, that's a great problem to have. And it's cool that you guys went through that and didn't implode. Like it wasn't like the Oprah effect, right? <laughs> yes, it was. It was it, like a good thing, but then your company implodes. <laughs> yes, it was like it was like an emotional support group, because because at any given point in time, one person was just real down on this is not going to work, and the other the other people would kind of bring them up, like, no, we're going to see it. We'll be positive on your behalf, and then it would switch and flip, and that 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 support was was very necessary. Um, and so very recently, so after version two came out and we, things got better, we opened free trials back up. So we got a lot of value out of that time when I, I was doing two demos a day for four or five months because we learned a lot more about the product and what people needed. And then when we opened up the self-serve free trial, that's when things really started to grow. And then two, three weeks ago on July 1st of this year, uh, we switched it again. So we removed the ability to, uh, to sign up for a free trial on your own. And we went back to requiring a demo and raise the price at the same time. So it's really like refining the segment of the market, the, the, the definition of an ideal customer for our market. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yep. So um, I heard you on, um, what's, talk, about, talk with Rob Walling, who is, is oh, one yeah. of your investors, is that correct? Rob is a friend and an investor in Cardhook as well. And, you know, we, we all know him from Stars for the Rest of Us and MicroConf. And uh, yeah, he's been uh, a very big help as a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are, are growing and it, it sounds like you guys have uh, over 30 people now. Is that right? And we're, we're 24, 24? 24 people now. Yeah. Um, so it went from four to 24 in two years. And that, that, has, that has its own challenges. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It's a... Uh... That's cool. Um, and so what, what's your focus now then? What's, what are you looking forward to? So uh, I, I make a joke that I, I worry for a living. <laughs> um, but really what that means is not I'm sitting around like worried about what's going to happen. Really, it's, it's a lot of other people to worry about. Uh, do people have what they need? Do they have clarity on what the vision is? Do they know what is more important than the other thing? Do they feel comfortable? Are they happy in their job? Or do they feel, do they feel fairly compensated? Do they have clarity on where their career is going? So there's a lot of worrying on behalf of other people and then making sure that they have all those things. Um, and then the other part of the job is to look, look further down uh, the horizon than everyone else, right? So everyone has to be focused on today, this week, this sprint, what's coming up next, what the prioritization is. Um, but I really need to be looking at six, 12, 18 months from now because no one else really has the capacity, the luxury even um, to do it because 
Uh, I'm generally not very good at executing. I'm good at thinking and strategizing and thinking what to do. And I, I'm, I generally don't have very good discipline around focusing for a long period of time. And it feels great to have people in these positions now that are just far better than I am at, at them, uh, which is great. Um, but as we've done that, it has allowed me to focus more on what I'm actually good at, which is you know, sitting around thinking about, okay, well, if this happens and that happens, this company's doing this and they're raising this money and why would this happen? And how come this is opening up in the market? And why are we getting so many merchants that are selling CBD and, you know, all these different data points that I can gather and look six, 12, 18 months down the line. That's, that's kind of where I should be adding the value. Mm -hmm. Yep. And hiring, always hiring. Yep. What is, what's a piece of advice you would give to, you know, your younger self or someone who's starting out, maybe has some traction, um, mistakes you see people make or some, some sort of insight? Oh man. Um, being more, uh, selective is one way to put it more selective with your time. Uh, and what I mean by that is if something is not working, I really should have dropped a lot of things a lot sooner than I did. You know, I had several businesses that I spent a year or two on when I should have known a month or two in to just drop it. Um, and it's the time that's the issue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about the amount of time going by. That's, that's the biggest expense. And that's in terms of life also, it's the biggest expense. Uh, so to be more, uh, to hoard your time, more zealously. That would be one thing. I think that would bring up your standards on what you want to be working on, who you want to work with and what your, what your standard for success is. And if it doesn't meet it, then you just then drop it and move on to the next thing. Um, making the market want what you're selling is hard. Uh, I think you're better off trying to figure out what the market wants and giving it to it. So I, I, I think that would definitely be, uh, one of those things. Um, the other thing for me, uh, I, I had a lot of difficulty early on transitioning from a mindset of trying to make money to to something more than that. So I, I went into this business because I wanted recurring revenue. Flat out, right? I ran an e-commerce business and we did like 75K a month or so. And then we sold the business. And one of the reasons we sold the business is at some point in that advertising driven e-commerce game, you realize if I don't spend 20 grand next month on advertising, I, I basically have no business, which means I'm, I'm on an advertising treadmill. Congratulations. You built an advertising treadmill that you can tell people you make a million dollars a year, but you don't really. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so after selling that business, uh, I said to myself, if I'm going to work this hard, it should, it should build on itself. And so I went into software for recurring revenue. Um, and when it's a small band of pirates, you know, three, four people, you talk very straightforwardly among yourselves about, let's make some money together, guys. Let's, let's do this. Mm-hmm. When it starts to, you start to add employees that are beyond founder uh, level and their, their ownership and equity isn't at the same level. And then you start to realize they're not here for the money. They can go get a job anywhere else. They could probably make more money anywhere else. It actually wouldn't be that difficult for them to get a job, make more money. They're here because it's interesting. It's challenging. It's fulfilling. 
And, and that has been uh, extremely rewarding. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it in an inauthentic way. So what happened was my, my co-founder at some point pulled me aside and said, Jordan, we kind of have to like get past this. Let's make money together thing. Not everybody wants to hear that. And so I had difficulty with it because where people default to is, well, we're going to change the world to make it a better place. And to me, that felt very inauthentic. Mm-hmm. So I had to find like an authentic way of doing it, which I found through the enrichment of, of employees' lives and their careers. And then it kind of took on a life of its own. And now it's like this interesting thing. And yes, obviously money is a, a big part of it, uh, but it became a richer experience uh, from that. So that was, that's, that's something I wish I knew earlier on uh, instead of finding out through kind of being you know, knocked on the forehead by my co-founder saying, Hey buddy, quit talking about money, man. We need to go beyond this. Yeah. That's difficult when you're starting out. The first thing you said about you would have like quit things earlier. That's so tough because sometimes you're a couple months in and you're like, man, I don't, maybe I just haven't found the secret sauce yet, but I'm going like, I'm on the verge of it. You know, it's gosh, that's a tough one. It's I agree. Yeah. Super tough, man, because you don't want to quit but you might get sucked in for a year on something that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's hard to know, but yeah, I, man, I, I like, uh, this, the story of the checkout page because when you hit a vein in the market, it's, it, it's like, it's just so obvious right away. And, um, I, the same thing to a lesser extent happened with my business with that presser. It was like, we, we kind of started talking about it in public and it was just like, everybody was talking about it and everybody was like writing about it and asking me questions about it. And all of a sudden it was like, I went from like, no, nobody knew who I was to like, uh, everybody was like, Oh, you're like, I was doing app press or whatever. And it was like, dang, that's what it's supposed that's to be it, like. Yes. Like, yeah. But that yes. is, I mean, it's like you said, it's so rare and it's just, I mean, for me, I feel like I just got lucky. I don't feel like I was smart or anything. Like I just got lucky, but the way you went about it was much more um, like, rational. It was like, you kind of saw this need and you went this direction. Yeah. There's definitely luck involved. Uh, yeah. There's, a uh, uh, an entrepreneur that we would all be very familiar with, uh, that started out at a, at a very successful company and then went out on their own, uh, had similar experience because the original company that they were with, they got to know what, what a booming company and demand really feels like. And he's one of these entrepreneurs that it looks like everything he does turns to gold. But in reality, his standards were set so high by that first experience that anything that doesn't feel like that, he just drops after two, three months. Mm. And so it looks like everything he works on is this, is this huge hit. But in reality, he's just dropping anything else that doesn't feel right very quickly. Gosh, that's really, that's really interesting. That's a great way to kind of validate an idea is just like, if this doesn't feel like it's just about to explode, it's not it. It's not it. Man, that's, yep. that's really- I know, I know. It's, and it's very easy to say, uh, but very, very hard in practice. I, I hope whatever comes after card hook that I have the discipline to, to do that and not hold on to the hope and idea of what you wanted to be real to force it into it. Yeah. Awesome, man. I'm going to end there. That was, that's such a great insight right there. Um, Jordan, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Where can people find you? So find me on Twitter, at Jordan Gall. Uh, if you're in e-commerce, check out carthook.com. And lastly, I also do a weekly podcast with Brian Castle, who you know also, uh, where we 
yeah, what we call it the low light podcast. <laughs> we talk about all <laughs> the things we're learning and struggling with and making mistakes. Uh, and we just share as much of it as possible. That's at bootstrappedweb.com. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Thank you.